Thank you for viewing this Life to Tape video. Life to Tape is part of Fotations, and if you'd like to help, you can visit FotationsDonation.com, where there are ways you can support financially or by donating equipment. If you'd also like to support on social media, that helps out a lot. There's more information on our social media accounts in the links below. Thank you. Bye-bye. Hello, this is the Fotations Life to Tape podcast. This is part three of our recordings of the Junior Classics Volume 1, Fairy and Wonder Tales. This is a podcasting 2.0 podcast, which means you can only find it on uh, podcasting uh, 2.0 applications and, and websites. And uh, so if you found this in-app, you're already on a podcasting 2.0 uh, podcasting 2.0 app. I did not upload this to uh, iTunes or to Spotify. It's it's only on the podcasting 2.0 apps. And the significance of that is that it's it's um, it's like an open directory where anyone can post there. And uh, there's you know, it has its advantages. But I really feel like it's a safe place for where I can you know, post uh, these classic stories and narrations without worrying about, you know, other people trying to, you know, flag it or, or remove them. And uh, a lot of it is educational. And so different groups of people and everything like to, you know, sometimes uh, they don't like a bit of history and then I read original content from there and then, you know, they try to get it removed or say that I'm, you know, misquoting. But, uh, and that's how I feel that Podcasting 2.0 kind of protects an environment where uh, I can do these readings and, and not have to worry so much about, you know, being canceled or something like that. And there's not much readings that I plan to do that are controversial or anything. I'm going to be sticking with the junior classics, uh, but there are uh, other historical texts that I want to read that uh, I'm going to go through and, you know, I do have some concerns about. Uh, but currently, uh, this is junior classic, so it's fairly safe. There might be one or two things that you know do not do not withstand the test of time. The other advantage of podcasting 2.0 is that you can help support this show as you listen, where uh, you stream Satoshi's back, which is the smallest unit of Bitcoin. It's under uh, one thousandth of a cent uh, is a Satoshi, and so when you um, listen for uh, one minute, you can set your application to stream, uh, you know, one Satoshi, five Satoshi, it's all completely up to you. And really anything helps, uh, because I, I'm slowly removing ads from my website. I currently post no more uh, postings uh, with advertisement on my website. Uh, YouTube ads are beyond my control. Uh, they kicked me out of the YouTube partner program. Not because I did anything bad, but just because uh, I didn't have enough viewers or subscribers. And so even though they originally let me in because I, I had passed the test before, uh, they changed it and so they kicked me back out. Uh, so I'm not banned or anything like that. I'm just, you know, flying under everyone's radar. But, you know, I, I grow at my own pace. And uh, so streaming back Satoshi's really helps. Uh, me not have to worry about advertisement, and so I want to thank everyone for supporting. If you're uh, supporting on Podcasting 2.0, there are also ways you can support uh, this 
series financially more directly. If you go to FotationsDonations.com, you can uh, find ways where you can donate equipment, uh, support uh, financially in traditional ways, or by donating uh, cryptocurrencies as well. So, let's get started. Like I said, this is Junior Classics Volume 1, Fairy and Wonder Tales, and this is uh, the part 6 of our recording. The Doll in the Grass by P.C. Abertjern Once upon a time there was a king who had twelve sons. When they were all grown up, he told them that they must go out into the world and find themselves wives who must be able to spin and weave and make a shirt in one day, else he would not have them for daughter-in-laws. He gave each of his sons a horse and a new suit of armor, and so they set out into the world to look for wives. When they had traveled a bit on the way, they said they had not taken Aspetal with them, for he was good for nothing. Aspetal must stop behind. There was no help for it. He did not know what he would do or what he would turn. He became so sad that he got off the horse and sat down on the grass and began to cry. When he had sat a while, one of the two sacks among the grass began to move, and out of it came a small white figure. As it neared Apestal, saw that it was a beautiful little girl, but she was so tiny and very, so tiny, so very, very tiny. She went up to him and asked him if he would come below and pay a visit to the doll in the grass. Yes, that he would, and so he did. When he came down below, the doll in the grass was sitting in a chair, dressed very finely and looking still more beautiful. She asked Aphespedal where he was going and what was his errand. He told her that there were twelve brothers, and that the king had given them each a horse and a suit of armor, and told them to go out in the world and find themselves wives, but they must all be able to spin and weave and make a shirt in a day. If you can do that and if you can do that and will become my wife, I will not travel any farther, said Ashpedal to the doll in the grass. Yes, that she would, and she set to work at once to get the shirt spun, woven and made, but it was so tiny and so very, very tiny, no bigger than so. Ashpedal then returned home, taking the shirt with him, but when he brought it out, he felt very shy because it was so small, but the king said he could have her for all that, and you can imagine how happy and joyful Aspetal became. The road did not seem long to him, as he set out to fetch his little sweetheart. When he came to the doll in the grass, he wanted her to sit with him on the horse, but no, she wouldn't. She said she would sit and drive in a silver spoon, and she had two small white horses which would draw her. So they set out, he on his horse, and she in a silver spoon, and the horses which drew her were two small white mice. Aspetal always kept one side of the road, and for he was so afraid he would ride over her. She was so very, very tiny. When they had traveled a bit on the way, they came to a large lake. There Aspetal's horse took fright and shed it over to one side of the road, and upset the spoon so that the doll in the grass fell into the water. Aspidal became very sad, for he did not know how he would get her out again. But after a while, a mermaid 
a merman brought her up. But now she had become just as big as any grown-up being and was much more beautiful than she was before. So he placed her in front of him on the horse and rode home. When Eshbetel got there, all his brothers had also returned, each with a sweetheart, but they were so ugly and ill-favored and bad-tempered that they had come to blows with their sweethearts at, on their way home. One, on their heads they had hats, which were painted in tar and soot, and this had run from their hats down their faces, so that they were still uglier, more ill-favored to behold. When the brothers saw Espetal's sweetheart, they became envious of him, but the king was so pleased with Espetal and his sweetheart that he drove all others away, and so Espetal was married to the doll in the grass. Afterwards, they lived happily and comfortably for a long, long while, and if they are not dead, they must be still alive. The Bear and the Fox by P.C. Abdurin Once upon a time there was a bear who sat on a sunny hillside, taking a nap. Just then a fox came slinking by and saw him. Aha, I have caught you napping, grandfather. See if I don't play a trick this time, said Reynard to himself. He then found three wood mice and laid them on a stump of a tree just under the bear's nose. Boot brum, Peter. The hunter is just behind that stump, shouted the fox right into the bear's ear, and then took his heel and made off into the woods. The bear woke at once, and when he saw the three mice, he became so angry that he lifted his paw and was just going to strike them, for he thought it was they who shouted in his ear. But just then he saw Renard's tail between the bushes, and he set off at such speed that the branches crackled under him and Brune was soon so close to Reynard that he caught him by the right hind leg, just as he was running into a hole under a pine tree. Reynard was now in a fix, but he was not to be outwitted, and he cried, Slip pine root, grip fox foot, and so the bear let go of his foot, but the fox laughed, fo the fox laughed far down in the hole and said, I sold you that time also, grandfather. Out of sight is not out of mind, said the bear, who was in a fine fury. The other morning, when Bruin came trudging across the moor with a fat pig, Master Reynard was lying on a stone by the moorside. Good day, grandfather, said the fox. What a nice thing have you got there. Pork, said the bear. I have got something tasty as well, said the fox. What is that, said the bear. It is the biggest bee nest I ever found, said Reynard. Ah, indeed, said the bear, grinning and his mouth began to water. He thought a little honey would be so nice. Shall we exchange vitals? He said, No, I won't do that, said Renard, but they made a wager about naming three kinds of trees. If the fox could say them quicker than the bear, he was to have one bite at the pig, but if the bear could say them quicker, he was, have, he was to have one suck of the bee's nest. The bear thought it would be able to suck all the honey up in one gulp, well, said the fox, that's all well and good, but if I win, you must promise to tear off the bristles where I want to have a bite, he said. Well, I suppose I must, since you are too lazy yourself, said the bear. Then they began to name the trees. Sprue, fine, purr, growled the bear. His voice was very gruff, 
but all these were only different names of one kind of tree. Ash, aspen, oak, screeched the fox so that the forest resounded. He had thus won the bet, and so he jumped down and took a heart out of the pig at one bite and tried to run off, but the bear was angry because he had taken the best bit of the whole pig and seized hold of him by his tail and held him fast. Just wait a bit, said the bear, who was furious. Never mind, grandfather. If you let me go, you shall have a taste of my honey, said the fox. And when the bear heard this, he let go of his let go his hold of the fox, jumped up on the stone after the honey. Over the nest, said Renard, I'll put a leaf, and in the leaf there is a hole, through which you can suck the honey. He then put the nest right up under the bear's nose, pulled away the leaf, and jumped on to the stone, and began grinning and laughing, for there was neither honey nor honeycomb in the nest. It was a wasp nest, as big as a man's head, full of wasps, and out they swarmed, and stung the bear in his eyes and ears, and on his mouth and snout. He had so much to do with scratching them off, that he had no, little to know that he had no to think of Renard, ever since the bear has been afraid of wasps. Once the fox and the bear made up their minds to have a field in common, they found a small clearing away, away from the forest, where they soiled rye the first year. Now we must share and share alike, said Renard. If you will have the roots, I will have the tops, he said. Yes, Brune was quite willing, but they were quite thrust the crop, and the fox got all the corn, while the bear got nothing but roots and towers. Prune didn't like this, but the fox said it was only as they had agreed. This year I am the gainer, said the fox. Another year it will be your turn. You can then have the tops, and I will be satisfied with the roots. The next spring the fox asked the bear if he didn't think the turnips would be right, the right thing for that year. Yes, the better food than corn, said the bear and the fox thought the same. When the autumn came, the fox took the turnips, but the bear only got the tops. Then the bear became so angry that he parted company then and there with Renard. One day the bear was lying, eating a horse which had been killed. Renard was about, Renard was about again and came slinking along, his mouth watering for a tasty bit of the horse flesh. He sneaked in and out, and round about till he came up behind the bear when he made a spring to the other side of the carcass, snatching a piece as he jumped across. The bear was not slow either. He made a dash after Renard and caught a tip of his red tail in his paw. Since that time, the fox had always had a white tip to his tail. Wait a bit, Renard, and come here, said the bear. I'll teach you how to catch horses. Yes, Renard was quite willing to learn that, but he didn't trust himself too near the bear. When you see a horse lying asleep in a sunny place, said the bear, you must tie yourself fast with the hair of his tail to your bush, and then fasten your teeth in its thigh, he said. Before long, the fox found a horse lying asleep on the sunny hillside, and so did as the bear had told him. He knotted a tie himself to the horse with the hair of the tail, and then fastened its teeth into his teeth into its thigh. Up jumped the horse and began to kick and gallop, so Renard was dashed in 
against stock and stone. He was so bruised and battered that he nearly lost all his senses. All at once a hare rushed by. Where are you off to in such a hurry, Bernard? said the hare. I'm having a ride, Bunny, said the fox. The hare sat up on its hind legs and laughed. To the side of his mouth, split right up to his ears, at the thought of Renard having such a grand ride, but since the fox has never thought of, but since then the fox has never thought of catching horses again. That time it was Bruin who, for once, had the better of Renard. Otherwise, they sat, say the bear is as simple-minded as the trolls. The Lad Who Went to the North Wind by Sir George Weeb Descent Once upon a time Once upon a time there was an old widow who had one son. She was poorly and weak. Her son had to go up into the safe to fetch meal for cook go into the safe to fetch meal for cooking, but when he got outside the safe and was just going down the steps there came a north wind, puffing and blowing, caught up the meal, and so away with it through the air. Then the lad went back into the safe for more, but when he came out again onto the steps, if the north wind didn't come again and carry off the meal with a puff, and more than that, he did so the third time. At this time the lad got very angry, as he thought it hard that the north wind should behave so. He thought he'd just look him up and ask him to give up his meal. So off he went, but the way was long, and he walked and walked, but at last he came to the north wind's house. Good day, he said, the lad, and thank you for coming to see us yesterday. Good day, answered the north wind, for his voice was loud and gruff, and thanks for coming to see me. What do you want? Oh, answered the lad, I only wish to ask you to be so good as to let me have back that meal you took from me on the safe steps, for we haven't much to live on, and if you are to go on snapping up morsels, we have there to be nothing for it to be starved. I haven't got your meal, said the north wind, but if you are in such need, I will give you a cloth with which you get up everything you want. If you only say cloth, spread yourself and serve up all kinds of good dishes. With this, the lad was well content. But as the way was so long, he couldn't get home in one day. He stopped at an inn on the way, and when they were going to sit down to supper, he laid the cloth on the table which stood in the corner, and said, Cloth, spread yourself, and serve up all kinds of good dishes. He had, his sca he had scarcely said it before. The cloth did as it was bid, and all who stood by thought it was a fine thing, but most of all the landlady. So when all were fast asleep at dead of night, she took the lad's cloth and put another in its stead, just like the one he had gotten from the north wind, but which couldn't so much as serve up a bit of dry bread. So when the lad woke, he took his cloth and went off with it, and that day he got home to his mother. Now, said he, I've been to the north wind's house, and a good fellow he is, for he gave me this cloth, and when I only say to it, cloth spread yourself, and serve up all kinds of good dishes, I get any sort of food I please. All very true, I dare say, said his mother, but seeing is believing, and I shan't believe it till I see it. So the lad made haste, drew out a table, laid the cloth on it, and said, Cloth, prepare yourself, and serve up all kinds of good dishes. 
but never a bit of dry bread did the cloth serve. Well, said the lad, there's no help for it but to go to the north. Wind again, and went, and away he went. So late in the afternoon he came to where the north wind lived. Good evening, said the lad. Good evening, said the north wind. I want my rights for that meal of ours which you took, said the lad, for as that cloth I got isn't worth a penny. I've got no meal, said the north wind, but yonder you have a ram which coins nothing but golden ducats, as soon as you say it. Ram, ram, make money. So the lad thought this a fine thing, but as it was too far to get home that day, he stopped for a night at the same inn where he had slept before. Before he called for anything, he tried to he tried the truth of what the north wind had said of the ram and found it all right. But when the landlords saw that, he thought it was a famous ram, and when the lad had fallen asleep, he took another which wouldn't coin ducan, who couldn't coin ducans, and changed the two. The next morning went off, and the lad. The next morning off went the lad, and when he got home to his mother, he said, "After all, the north wind is a jolly fellow, for now he has given me a ram which can coin gold ducans. If I only say ram, ram, make money." All very true, I dare say," said his mother. But I shan't believe any such stuff until I see the ducans made. Ram, ram, make money," said the lad. But the ram made no money. So the lad went back again to the north wind and blew him up, and said the ram was worth nothing, and he must have his rights for the meal. Well," said the north wind, "I have nothing else to give you, but that old stick in the corner yonder. But it is a stick of that kind that if you say stick, stick, lay on it, it lays on." Till you say stick, stick, stop now. So as they went, so as the way was long, and the lad turned into this night to to the landlord. But as he could plenty guess how things stood, as the cloth and the ram, he lay down at once on the bench and began to snore as if he were asleep. Now the landlord, who easily saw that the stick must be worth something, hunted up one. Which was like it, and when he heard the lad snoring and was going to change the two, but just as the landlord was about to take it, the lad brawled, "Stick, stick, lay on!" So the stick began to beat the landlord till he jumped over his chair and table and benches and yelled and roared, "Oh my, oh my! Bid the stick be still, else it beat me to death, and you shall have back your cloth and your ram." When the lad thought the landlord had got enough. He said, "Stick, stick, stop now!" Then he took the cloth and put it into his pocket, and went home with his stick in his hand, and leading the ram by a cord round its horns, and so he got his rights for the meal he had lost. The husband who was to mind the men mind the house. By Sir George Webdeken, descent. Once upon a time, there was a man so surely and cross he never thought his wife did anything right in the house. So one evening in haymaking time, he came home scolding and swearing, showing his teeth and making a dust. Dear love, don't be so angry. 
There's a good man, said his goodly tomorrow, said his goodly. Tomorrow let's change our work. I'll go out with the mowers and mow, and you shall mind the house at home. Yes, the husband thought, that would be do very well. He was quite willing, he said. So early next morning, his goody took a scythe over her neck and went out into the hayfield with the mowers and began to mow. But the man was of my was to mind the house and do the work at home. First of all, he, all he wanted to churn first of all he wanted to churn the butter but when he had churned for a while he got thirsty and went down to the cellar for a tap of barrel ale so just when he had knocked in the bung and was putting the tap back into the cask he heard overhead a pig come into the kitchen then off he ran up the cellar steps with the tap in his hand and fast as he could took after the pig lest it should upset the churn but when he got up, he saw that the pig had already knocked the churn over and stood there routing and grunting amid the cream which was running all over the floor. He got so wild with rage that he quite forgot his ale barrel and ran at the pig as hard as he could. He caught it too, just as it ran out the doors and gave him such a kick that the piggy lay for dead on the spot. Then all at once he remembered that he had a tap in his hand and when he got down to the barrel cellar, every drop of ale had run out on the cask. Then he went into the dairy and found enough cream left to fill the churn again, and so he began to churn, for butter they must have for dinner. When he had churned a bit, he remembered that the milking cows was still shut up in a briar and hadn't had a bite to eat or a drop to drink at all this morning. Though the sun was high, and all at once he thought twas too far to take her down in the meadow, so he just get her up on the housetop for the roof, you must know, was thatched with sod, and a fine crop of grass was growing there. Now their house lay close up against a steep down, and he thought if he had a plank across to thatch the back, he'd easily get the cow up. But still he couldn't leave the churn, for there was his little babe crawling about the floor, and if I leave it, he thought, the child is sure to upset it. So he took the churn on his back and went out with it, but he thought he'd better first watch water the cows before he turned her out on the thatch. So he took up the bucket to draw water out of the well, but as soon as he stepped down out of the well's brink, at the cream ran out of the churn over his shoulders and so down into the well. Now it was near dinner time, and he hadn't even gotten the butter yet, and so he thought he'd best boil the porridge and fill the pot with water and hung it over the fire. When he had done that, he thought the cow might perhaps fall off the thatch and break her legs or neck, so he got up on the house to tie her up. On end of a rope he made fast to the cow's neck, and the other he slipped down the chimney and tied round his own thigh. He had to make haste, for the water now began to boil in the pot, and he had still to grind the oatmeal. So he began to grind away, but while he was hard at it, fell down, down fell the cow off the housetop, after all, and as she fell, she dragged the man up the chimney by the rope. There he struck fast, and as for the cow, she hung halfway down the wall, swinging between heaven and earth, for she could neither get down or up.
and now the goodly had waved seven lengths and seven breaths for her husband to come and call them home for dinner, but never a call they had. At last she thought she'd waited long enough and went home, but when she got there she saw the cow hanging in such an ugly place. She ran up and cut the rope in two with her scythe, but as she did this, down her husband came out of the chimney, and so when his old dame came inside the kitchen, there she found him standing on his head in a pot of cor- pot of his head in the porridge pot. How One Went Out to Woo by Sir George Webb Descent Once upon a time there was a lad who went out to woo him a wife. Among other places he came to a farmhouse, where the households were a little better than beggars, but where the wooers came in, they wanted to make out that they were well-to-do, as you may guess. Now the husbands had got a new arm to his coat. Pray take a seat, he said to the wooer, but there's a shocking dust in the house. So he went about rubbing and wiping all of the benches and tables with his new arm, but he kept the other all the while behind his back. The wife, she had got one new shoe, and she went stamping and sliding with it up against the stool and chairs, saying, How untidy it is here. Everything is out of place. Then they called out to their daughter, then they called out to their daughter, to come down and put things to right. But the daughter had got a new cap, so she put her head in the door and kept nodding and nodding, first to the side and then to that. Well, for my part, she said, I can't be everywhere at once. Aye, aye, that was a well-to-do household the wooer had come to. Why the Bear is Stumpy-Tailed by Sir George Webb Descent one day, the web, one day the bear met the fox, who came slinking along with a string of fish he had stolen. Whence did you get that from? asked the bear. Oh, my lord Bruin, I've been out fishing and caught them, said the fox. So the bear had a mind to learn to fish too, and bade the fox tell him how he was to set about it. Oh, it's an easy craft for you, answered the fox, and soon learned. You've only got to go upon the ice and cut a hole and stick your tail down into it, and so you must go on holding it there as long as you can, if you're not to mind your tail smarts a little. That's when the fish bite. The longer you can hold it there, the more fish you can get, and then all at once out with it, the cross pull sideways, and with a strong pull too. Yes, the bear did as the fox said, and held his long tail long down in the hole till it was fast frozen in, and then he pulled out with a crossbow, and it snapped off. And that's why Bruin goes about with a stumpy tail this very day. Boots Who Made the Princess Say That's a Story by George Webb Descent Once upon a time there was a king who had a daughter, and she was such a dreadful storyteller that the like of her was not to be found far or near. So the king gave out, that if anyone could tell such a string of lies as would get her to say that story, he would have her to he would have her to wife, and half the kingdom besides. Well, many came, as you may fancy, to try their luck, for everyone had 
been very glad to have the princess to say nothing of the kingdom, but they all cut a sorry figure, for the princess was so given to storytelling that all their lies went in at one ear and out the other. Among the rest came three brothers to try and brothers to try their luck, and the two elders went first, but they fared no better than those that had gone before them. Last of all, the third Boots set off and found the princess in the farmland. Good morning, he said, and thank you for nothing. Good morning, she said, and the same to you. Then she went on. You haven't such a fine farm. You haven't such a fine farmyard as yours. I'll be bound, for when two shepherds stand, one at each end of it, and bows the ram's horn, the one can't hear the other. Haven't we, though? Answered Boots. Ours is far bigger, for when the calf starts to cross the field, it is a full-grown cow when it reaches the other end. I dare say, said the princess, well, but you haven't such a big ox, after all, as yours yonder, for when two men sit, one on each horn, they can't touch each other within a twenty-foot rule. Stuff, said Boots, is that all? Why, we have an ox who is so big, that when two men sit, one on each horn, each blows his great mountain trumpet. They can't hear the other one. I dare say, said the princess, but you haven't so much milk as we. I'll be bound, for we milk our cows into great pails and carry them indoors and empty them into great tubs, and so we make great Greek cheese. Oh, you do, do you, said Boots, while well, we milk ours into great tubs, and then we put them in carts and drive them indoors, and then we turn them out into great brewing vats, so that we make cheese as big as a great house. We have to a drum mare to dread the cheese well together when it is making, but once she stumbled down into the cheese, and we lost her, and after we had eaten at the cheese for seven years, we came upon a great drum Marie, alive and kicking. Well, once after that, I was going to drive this mare to the mill, and her backbone snapped in two, but I wasn't put out of it. No, I, for I took a spruce scalping and put it into her for a backbone, and she has no other backbone at all. Well, we had her, but the stapling grew up in such a small tree that I have climbed right up to the sky by it, and when I got there I saw a lady sitting and spinning the foam of the sea, and to pig's bristle robes, but just then the spruce fur broke short off, and I couldn't get down again, and so the lady let me down by one of the ropes, and down I slipped straight into a fox's hole, and who should sit there but my mother and your father cobbling shoes, and just as I stepped in, my mother gave your father such a box on the ear that is made of whisker, whiskers curl. That's the story, said the princess. My father never did any such thing in all his born days. So Boots got the princess to wife and half the kingdom. The Witch in the Stone Boat Retold by Andrew Lang There was once a king and a queen, and they had a son called Singard, who was very strong and active and good-looking. When the king came to be bowed, 
When the king came to be bowed down with the weight of years, he spoke to his son and said, Now it was time for him to look out for a fitting match for himself, for he did not know how long he might last now, and he would like to see him married before he died. Singurg was not adverse to this and asked his father where he thought it best to look for a wife. The king answered that in a certain country there was a king who had a beautiful daughter, and he thought it would be more desirable if Sigurd could get her. So the two parted, and Sigurd prepared for the journey, and went to where his father had directed him. He came to the king and asked his daughter's hand, which was readily granted him, but only on the condition that he would remain there as long as he could. For the king himself was not strong, and not very able to govern his kingdom. Singard accepted this condition, but added that he would have to get leave to go home again to his own country when he heard the news of his father's death. After Singard married the princess and helped his father-in-law to govern the kingdom, he and the princess loved each other dearly, and after a year a son came to them, who was two years old when word came to Singard that his father was dead. Singar and prepared to return home with his wife and child, went aboard the ship to go by sea. They had sailed for seven, several days when the breeze suddenly fell, and there came a dead calm at a time when they needed only one day's voyage to reach home. Singar and his queen were one day on deck when most of the others on the ship had fallen asleep. There they had talked for a while and had their little son along with them. After a time, Sungard became so heavy with sleep that he could no longer w- keep awake, so he went below and lay down, leaving the queen alone on the deck playing with his son. A good while after Sungard had gone below, the queen saw something black on the sea which seemed to be coming near. As it approached, she could make out that it was a boat and could see the figure of someone sitting in it, rowing, rowing it. At last the boat came alongside the ship, and now the queen saw that it was a stone boat, out of which there came on board the ship a fearsome ugly witch. The queen was more frightened than words can describe, and could neither speak nor could neither speak a word nor move from the place so as to awaken the king or the sailors. The witch came right up to the queen, took the child from her, and laid it on the deck. Then she took the queen and stripped her of all her fine clothes, which she proceeded to put on herself, and looked then like a human being. Last of all she took last of all she took the queen, put her into the boat, and said, A spell I lay upon you that you slacken not your course until you come to my brother in the underworld. The queen sat stunned and motionless, but the boat at once shot away from the ship with her, and before long she was out of sight. When the boat could no longer be seen, the children, child began to cry, and though the witch tried to quiet it, she could not manage it. So, with the child on her arm, she went below to where the king was sleeping and awakened him, scolding him for leaving them all alone on the deck while he and all the other crew were asleep. It was a great carelessness of him, she said, to leave no one to watch the ship with her. Sungard was greatly surprised to hear his queen scold him so much. 
for she had never said any angry word to him before, but he thought it was quite excusable in this case, and tried to quiet the child along with her, but it was of no use. There he went and awakened the sailors and bade them hoist the sails, for a breeze had sprung up and was blowing straight toward the harbor. They soon reached the land which Sungar was to rule over, and found that all the people sorrowful for the old king's death, but they became glad when they got Sungar back to the court and made him king over them. The king's son, however, hardly ever stopped crying, for the time he had been taken from his mother on the deck of the ship, although he had always been such a good child before, so that at last the king had to get a nurse for him, one of the maids of the court, as soon as the child got into her charge, he stopped crying and behaved well as before. After the sea voyage, it seemed to the king that the queen had altered very much in many ways, and not for the better. He thought her much more haughty and stubborn, and difficult to deal with than she used to be. Before long, others began to notice this as well as the king. In the court there were two young fellows, one of eighteen years old, the other of nineteen, who were very fond of playing chess, and often sat along inside playing at it. The room was next to the queen's, and often during the day they heard the queen talking. One day they paid more attention than usual, when they heard her talk, and put their ears close to the crack in the walls between the rooms, and they heard the queen say quite plainly, When I yawn a little, there I am a nice little maiden, when I yawn halfway, there I am half troll. And when I yawn fully, I am a troll altogether. As she said this, she yawned tremendously, and in a moment had put on the appearance of a fearsome, ugly troll. Then there came up through the floor of the room a three-headed giant with a troll full of, a trout full of meat, who saluted her as her sister and set down the troll, the trough before her. She began to eat out of it and never stopped till she had finished it. The young fellow saw this all going on, but did not hear the two of them but did not hear the two of them say anything to each other. They were astonished though at how greedily the queen devoured the meat and how much she ate of it, and were no longer surprised that she took so little when she sat at the table with the king. As soon as she had finished the giant had finished it, the giant disappeared with the trough by the same way he had come, and the queen returned to her human shape. Now we must go back to the king's son. Had he ever put in charge of the nurse you now we must go back to the king's son after he had been put in charge of the nurse. One evening after she had lit a candle and was holding the child, several planks sprang up in the floor of the room and out of the opening came a beautiful woman dressed in white, with an iron belt around her waist, which was fastened to an iron chain, and went down to the ground. The woman came up to nurse, took the child from her, and pressed it to her breast. Then she gave it back to the nurse, and returned the same way as she had come, and the floor closed over her again. Although the woman had not spoken a single word to her, the nurse was very much frightened, but told no one about it. The next evening the same thing happened again, just as before, but as the woman was going away, she said in a sad tone, Two are gone and one is only left, and then disappeared as before. 
The nurse was still more frightened when she heard the woman say this, and thought that perhaps some danger was hanging over the child, though she had no ill opinion of the unknown woman, who indeed had behaved toward the child as if it were her own. The most mysterious thing was that the woman was saying, Only one is left, but the nurse guessed that this meant there is only one day was left, since she had come for two days already. At last the nurse made up her mind to go to the king. She told him the whole story and asked him to present in person the next day about the time when the woman usually came. The king promised to do so and came to the nurse's room a little before the time and sat down on the chair with his drawn sword in hand. Soon after the plank floor sprang up as before and the woman came up dressed in white with the iron belt and chain the king saw at once that it was his own queen and immediately hewed asunder the iron chain and that was fastened to the belt this was followed by such noise and crashing down in the earth that all the king's palace shook so that no one except anything else of anything else than to see every bit of it shaken to pieces at last the noise and shaking stopped and they began to come to themselves again the king and queen embraced each other and she told him the whole story how the witch came to the ship when they were all asleep and sent her off in the boat after she had gone so far that she could not see the ship she sailed on through darkness until she landed beside a three-headed giant the giant wished her to marry him but she refused whereupon he shut her up by herself and told her that she would never get free again until she consented after a time she began to plan how to get her freedom and at last she told him that she would consent if he would allow her to visit her son on earth three days on end this he agreed to this he agreed to but put on his own iron belt and chain and the other end which was fastened around his own waist and the great noise which that heard was the king cutting the chain must have been caused by the giants falling down the underground passage which the chain gave way so suddenly the giant's dwelling indeed was right under the palace and trembling and shaking must have caused him in his death throes the king now understood how the queen had for some time past been so ill-tempered he at once had sack drawn over her head and made her be stoned to death, and after that, torn in pieces, untamed, torn in pieces by untamed horses. The two young fellows also told now what they had heard and seen in the queen's room, for before this they had been afraid to say anything about it on the account of the queen's power. The real queen was now restored to all her dignity, and beloved by all. The nurse was married to a nobleman, and the king and queen gave her splendid presents. Okay, that's it for the Junior Classics Volume 1, Part 6. Thank you for viewing this Life to Tape video. Life to Tape is part of Fotations, and if you'd like to help, you can visit FotationsDonation.com, where there are ways you can support financially or by donating equipment. If you'd also like to support on social media, that helps out a lot. There's more information on our social media accounts in the links below. Thank you. Bye-bye.